Man, do we reek. We have not bathed in well over half of a week. It's bad. To be honest with you, I haven't changed my clothes in well over uh, half of yeah, a week. I don't week. know if you should. I, Except I at least for, I, do, I did, I did, uh, I did uh, change my, like, out of my hunting shirts every night and put on, like, a uh, heavy fleece just to survive the uh, winter weather. But uh, you were, I think you were relying a little bit too much on the antimicrobial. Dude, it's gonna, working, man. I, uh, the, <laughs> so shout out uh, a partner of mine, uh, an affiliate partner, Black Ovis. Uh, they're merino base layers. That's right on the money, man. Those yeah. those babies are awesome. Kept me yeah. warm. Kept me. Uh, well, supposedly stank free. I mean, I think Caleb and I are just extremely nose blind right now. It's anyone's now. guess. <laughs> it's anyone's. Hey, you know whose guess it's not going to be? It's our wives. Our wives, man. The second we walk through the door, yeah, uh, it ain't going to be good. It's not going to be good at all. No, it's I. Gonna, yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, it's something. It's something. I mean, we broke out a fresh air freshener just to. I mean, I'm hopeful. What's the wife equivalent of nose jammer? It's like a Yankee candle or Dude, something. Dude, I don't know. I mean, what there's could, nothing. What could you? What could you? Uh, cedar branches? I don't know. Rub some cedar put, underneath put your legs or something. <laughs> I mean, what could you? What what aroma could you fill the air with that would have the nose jammer I mean, effect? Where they just don't, you know, like the anxiety melts away a little bit. They they, they might think like, did I just well, catch it? Actually, did I just I'm gonna, catch a, a whiff yeah. of? Like dead butt. I'm or? gonna I'm gonna reference what you said about nose jammer because we tried it on the other day. Or we sprayed it on, and uh, we'll, which actually it, it might have might have helped us out, which yeah. we'll get to. But uh, lavender. You mentioned lavender. Remember when you were like, oh, I was yeah, like yeah, this yeah. vanilla smell, and you were like, oh yeah, this calming this calming scent is kind of like lavender for humans. Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe, maybe it, lavender. Yeah, is a little it. spritz of lavender would. Help ease the anxiety of a husband who's been gone for days, gets back smelling like dead butt, and put a little put a little lavender in the air, and they accept you once again. Yeah, maybe that's what we need. We need to make one more stop. Thing, one, Caleb, one, the, the last stop, <laughs> lavender. Yeah, that or we could just see if uh, nose jammer works on humans too. Yeah, but I, nope, oh, we're it, yeah. we're on our way back. Yeah, we are. Dream trip, that's what that's what you've said multiple times, man. What yeah. was what was your hopes going into this? Like, like your goals for, for well, the trip? I, and I th- I think um, well, and you. By the way, I'm gonna crack open some caffeine. Yeah, you here. mentioned this too about because I kept I kept saying it. I think I had this expectation of that if I could, I wanted to check off a new species of of harvest. So yeah. in in my mind. I thought a muley buck was obviously uh, would be amazing, but really my expectation was a realistic, a re- I guess a realistic goal in my brain, a muley doe. Um, that was like that was kind of my expectation of it uh, as far as harvest would go or or a goal. Um, I don't know. I thought with private uh, with private land, and I think this kind of goes with. What we talked, I talked to two different conservation officers, um, a wildlife uh, biologist, or I don't know if it was a biologist, but someone in the wildlife department, 
Well, even a, a yeah. shout out to our buddy Nate Dodson. He kind of yeah, Nate. Yeah, we had talked to him. Um, I talked to someone at um, with on some federal land. So in between all those pieces, I just I really thought when we we had gotten access to this private land when I. I'd, I'd made some different networks. They all said that our chances were better. Wait, yeah, they were high, and so I didn't know what really to explain. When, when that when that kind of chip fell for us, I was like, well, who knows? Maybe there's going to be a, you know a buck around every around every ledge. But uh, what about you? What was like an expectation or goal? Well, our our plans changed so drastically within the last week. I it was sure. quickly. I think that is maybe. Some, did we did we cover that in so, the last one? No, we didn't. We. We're kind of doing a whole encompassing. I thought we might do like a couple of pick and bones, but I don't know. I think that might be belaboring the whole thing. So let's just put it into one big episode sure, here. Sure, sure. Kind of a pre-trip, post-trip view. Well, and I think, too, we, our expectations of what each day was going to be like maybe were different because well, by, but, but it, but we I'm were gone that, all like, day. Well, you know? but I'm saying like a week before the trip, Oh yeah, our plans changed drastically. Right. right. Like we... We uh, changed units in a way. We were yeah. we were mostly planning to hunt. Well, well, we can say the units. I don't feel like we're spot burning there. So but, like uh, Calamus, we, right? Calamus, Calamus West. Calamus West and the Sandhills units. Yep. And uh, maybe even Loop and West. Maybe were we in Loop planes. West? We were looking at some planes. Um. And uh, you know, originally we were looking at. Sandhills, Sand Pine Ridge. Yep. But Pine Ridge was closed to mule deer harvest this year because of the winter kill last year. So that crossed that off. Well, and the winter kill, I think, is a good point to that. And and I would say both landowners that we talked to mentioned the different diseases that had come in, CWD. Well, uh, those have been, that's they've been, been around, around forever. But, you but, know, uh, but the winter kill last year... Um, Thirty percent, yeah, of the I think mule deer and eighteen percent of whitetail, or vice versa. I can't remember which one it was, but it was it's a significant number. Yeah, I think that was I think that was in Pine Ridge. They yep, were in saying. the Pine Ridge. Yep, and and uh, so we we obviously couldn't hunt the Pine Ridge for muleys, so that got crossed off. And Caleb was just doing some research, and uh, just kind of based on the fact that. Mule deer are a western species. Yep. The further west we get, theoretically, the better. And I think that's kind of what you heard from some different conservation well, officers. Right. Like, right. Hey, the further west you go, you're probably going to see more muleys. And so we decided to go with. Uh, oh, and then the other thing that was really important to me in this trip, and I appreciate that Caleb didn't get annoyed by this. Was I really wanted to be in the prairie? Well, like and it was, in a, in and, that was and that was a neat part of it too, right? And and so we were in, we were, we drove through the sand hills, but we hunted in what a lot of people around there refer to as the hard prairie. Yeah. So it was very much so prairie and really untouched prairie from like a terraforming standpoint. It's grazed. But it's, I mean, it's... Well, we got to see some untouched, too. Yeah, it's wild wild prairie that's been that way for millennia. And um, that was the main thing for me, just as somebody who works in the prairie reconstruction business and 
really, uh, you know, has passion about that ecosystem. And so we were in short grass, mixed grass, prairie, the, the whole time. And that was awesome. That was, so we ended up in the plains unit, which was one of our options in our home plan. And it's, we should also note that, um, it, we mentioned Pine Ridge was closed just to mule deer, though. Right, yeah. They, you could go You could go into the Pine Ridge unit and still harvest whitetails. And we weren't opposed to harvesting whitetails. No. Um, <clears throat> which might be a good time to talk about what our hierarchy of what it was that we wanted to... Yeah, that's true, because I think ours are, ours are different. Yeah, ours are, yeah. I mean, they're similar, but but they were different so as caleb said he really wanted to cross off a new species so you're correct me if i'm wrong here caleb but your hierarchy of harvest went yep mule deer buck number one deer doe two white tail buck white tail doe four yep and mine went mule deer buck white tail buck mule deer doe white tail doe just because I have not harvested a buck yet this year through archery season, I have harvested a white-tailed doe, um, and I uh, uh, just really would like to get a buck. He's, but, you're you're going to get one. But, we're we're going to get. It's going to happen. I hope so. But if if not, I feel like it's been such a fantastic season, and uh, there were some really, really nice white-tailed bucks. Oh my goodness! That we saw. Um, Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank, man. He was a giant eight or nine. We couldn't really mm-hmm. tell because the second rut was happening there. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, that was just wild to witness. But, but um, yeah, so we, we ended up out there in the plains. Should we back unit. up a little here and talk about kind of how we how that happened somewhat? Yeah, but let's not spot burn here. So Absolutely let's be, not. be careful about, you know, too many details here but yeah, so i got a little anxious almost is probably one one thing not anxious but i was looking into our hunt a little bit well we had actually there's there's some land in nebraska you're not allowed to hunt on and i think we've talked about that before um yeah. there's a certain type of land that is state land that you would assume is public and it's yeah, actually it's called, it's called Belf, Belf land board of education land foundation yes and uh it is public land yes but it is it is leased to private land owners and you have to somehow get in touch with those private land owners in order to get access to them and one of the ceos i talked to said that that is going to be more difficult than getting private access and it actually crossed off one of our one of our Spots. Yeah, we one had, of our spots. We had, we were what do we have? Hunt. Three, maybe kind of four with about really small. No, we had one. four. Yeah, we had four hunt zones going into this, and uh, the, the Belf got crossed off. But we still had three other good sure. areas that. But it was all public land. Yeah, all public land. And access. so the our plan was, and I think because we were just kind of bouncing back to you saying how drastically things had changed. Our plan: we were going to tent camp on public land. And and maybe bounce around, you know, depending on to yeah. these different hunt yeah. spots, these hunt zones. See yeah, how the are, action was playing out and everything. Right, right. And so, uh, so yeah, I did. I did my thing. You know, I I got in touch um, with some private landowners through some creative 
strategies, if you will. Yeah. And uh, um, and then you know you in this in this area, you know, it's kind of tight knit. So you get in touch with one, and they they know somebody else, and they know somebody else, and they all know each other. And uh, yeah, so we got access to some pretty beautiful private land, and. Uh, <coughs> And so yeah, then it, then it changed. You know, we were still gonna camp, and then uh, that that was that was even up to goodness. What two days before we left? Yeah, yeah. Where we were still we were fully intending on camping yeah, every day. Um, and one of these private landowners said, "You know, it's it's gonna be pretty cold." Well, they so back up a little. They had a they have a camp like a drive-in campground right on this private land that yep. that's advertised. Right and. Uh, they they were like, yep, you guys can stay there. Um, the water shut off for the season, obviously, because right. it's, you know, gets below freezing every yep. day. Um, but there's electrical hookup, mm-hmm. so great. We're going to bring a space heater yeah, for the, so, inside and, the tent. And that's another thing we're talking about because being on the prairie, this is something I was concerned about going into the hunt. We rented a hot tent, which is a great thing, especially if you're, like, going to be in a, you know, like, doing a rifle elk season or something like that where there's going to be snow and you're right. going to have to stay warm, but you need to be ultralight because you're packed way back into the mountains. So we got that tent. We got the hot tent with the stove. Mm-hmm. And That's light as a feather. I mean, that, that yeah. was pretty light. Yeah, that thing was awesome. So we were all set to go with that, but we were like, you know what? And, we, and Caleb, being a landowner, he's like, you're going to be okay with us running our wood stove? And I was worried about just finding wood out there, honestly. <laughs> and you which, were not wrong about that. <laughs> which, that would have been a challenge. Um, uh, because it is the prairie. I mean, as far as the eye can see, there are some trees down in the river bottoms, cottonwoods, um, but... But uh, people, I think, they really value the trees that they have. And so now yep. not many of them are turned into firewood. And so um, we we uh, asked about that. And, um, you know, just like pretty much everywhere else this summer in the Midwest and West. And uh, uh, although I think some of the West actually had some pretty good rainfall this summer. But... As a lot of the country was, it was dry, and it's been dry in, uh, you know, western Nebraska. And uh, so they were like, yeah, I don't think you should burn because, you know, you could set the entire prairie on. <laughs> yeah. The entire western half of the state on fire. Right. And so we're like, okay, we're going to, so we were going to bring in a, uh electric heater to heat the tent. And um, that... Uh, was like going to be our our big plan, right? And yeah. Well, and and really, some of it was the the cold, but ultimately, um, they were like, "Hey, we actually have cows in there," and yeah. they're like, "We yeah, think just we, through rotating through yeah, the season, right?" Yeah. And they were like, "They're they're in that area right now, and uh, we think if you go in there <laughs> and leave your tent up and maybe some coolers and stuff, the cows are going to go just smush it, you know, rub yep. against it, and they're going to ruin it." And so they ended up offering um, for us to stay um, in this smaller camper. Yeah. Which was it had electrical, um, no water inside of it or a bathroom or anything. But, um, but wow, what that was, 
That was big. That was yeah. really, very, very nice to have. They're very generous and gracious to let us stay there. And Game changer. Uh, very much so. Um, yeah, and we we got to run some electric heaters in there still, which which still it was not it was not hot. It was never hot inside of there. No. I mean it's it's cold. It's not an insulated camper really. It probably got up to the fifties maybe. Yeah, I don't know if we ever crossed the 60-degree threshold. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and so, and that, and that kind of gives a picture, too, of, like, from Friday, besides when we were driving, the, the you know, to the different spots. I mean, we were in 60 degrees or less, basically, or 58 or less. I don't think it even got up to 58. In but, that, you know, and camper, then from, yeah. from teens to single-digit wind chills, you know, to... Yeah, we're just yeah. basically you're you're dealing with cold basically the entire trip, so, which I kind of liked. Yeah, and so if you can imagine in a tent, uh, as opposed, to, I mean, at how how warm is a tent going to get? I mean, at night there was one night that uh, I guess it would have been like wee hours in the morning. That yeah. one, the, the wind was just was so strong. Yeah, it had to have been at least thirty miles per hour um, gusting yeah. through there. So so, anyways, that's how we ended up. We ended up in a, in a camper. Um, private land just some great people some some just unique characters and um yes we ended up we ended up out there yeah and that that camper like we said was just an awesome it was a blessing to have that honestly certainly and and, uh they're very generous with that and gave us a good place to kind of shelter down at the end of every day but so that that's what our plan ended up being we had access to all this private land and um uh, so we just went at it, and so the first day, you know, we got settled in. We had to stay the night at a hotel on our way in. We recorded that podcast for last week, and uh, Caleb was like having to nudge me to stay awake. Uh, <laughs> I was I was just getting so tired. I think we had to record it in like like two or three two parts uh, at least parts because I was so tired. But we uh, we got that recorded. We got to our hotel that night, and then. Uh, the next day we drove the remaining distance, which was not that far, just a couple hours, like two and a half hours. Yeah. And right away when we left the hotel. Gorgeous. Oh man. You know, it's kind of a shame that such a large part of the drive had to be at night. Right. Because we missed a lot of the beautiful scenery on the way in. But when we hit, when we hit the, the morning drive, it was just right away. We were getting jacked. I mean. Well, it, we, it felt like momentum. Um, we, basically, we, uh, you know, and it was just, we, yeah, we, we could see how this is the kind of habitat that we really want to, um, experience really experience. Yeah. We were, we're kind of like salivating it over, mm-hmm. you know, as we were looking at all these, yeah. but what we didn't realize was how much that was going to continue to evolve throughout the drive. Well, um, we got to back up here. Because we had one other thing of momentum that just kind of sent us over over yeah. the moon. Yeah, that's right. Or Caleb and I are always looking for antlers, and uh, so we're like, I don't know, a half hour into our drive. Yep. And uh, Caleb's like, "Oh, there's a dead buck," and right off the side of the road. Um, maybe we'll post the video. You'll have to. There was yeah. a uh, really nice. He, he was mature for sure. I mean, four and a half at least, I'd yep. say, based yep. on the body size. Uh, Whitetail, dead in the ditch, killed just the night before. I mean, I mean I we mean, probably still, yeah. could have gotten the back straps off of him. And, oh, certainly. And it uh, would have been great. 
Um, but fresh killed whitetail, great rack. You know, probably what one thirties class maybe. Yeah, you know, right around one thirty. Yeah, just a nice, just a maybe. nice buck, nine po- nine pointer. Yep, Basically nine a typical pointer. eight, but his right side at the very end had like, oh, an inch and a half, two inch, extra yep. little time there. So tell you what, though, Frank the Tank would have whipped his butt. Would well, yeah, would have sent him home crying. Yeah, he would have, he would have busted off those one hundred and thirty five inch antlers. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, found that right away. So we're all jacked up. You know, like yes, we're in. You know, we're in. A great. I think that's when Caleb started to question his hierarchy of where he had. Well, his, I, I was tempted. I was said. I said that this. I'll shoot this. I mean, this is a shooter <laughs> buck for me. Um, yep. Was tempted to try to get a salvage tag for that thing, but we we don't know Nebraska law, so we just, you know, stopped, checked him out real quick on the side of the road, and continued yep. on, and um, hopefully someone else took the legal measures to yeah. snag that buck if yeah. they did. Um, so yeah. Yeah, so things were things were exciting, you know, on the way in. We get there, and uh, I think this is an important tip. We we obviously had to get s- set up with uh, campground people. Yep. Right away, and uh, meet them and get settled in and everything, and and uh, so that made sense to do that. But then the landowner that get, that got us all this other hunting permission. We made sure to go over and meet him uh, before we started hunting. Right. Yep. And, and to this point, it had been a couple phone conversations with him. Yeah. And uh, so it was good just to, you know, shake his hand. You know, for, for me and for him both, we're just putting a, a face to a name finally. Kent, he didn't even know who Kent was. That's yeah. Which is so crazy how generous that was of them to just be like, yeah, come on out, guys. Yep. So. And, you know, it opens the door for a lot of great hunting intel, too. You know, they can tell you different parts of the land that that you can expect to see different things. And and so it's just really good. And you just knew then that, hey, if our truck gets stuck somewhere, we, you know, we have a relationship with this person that they're probably going to be willing to come drag us out with a tractor or something you know well and it gives you it 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 affirms that the phone call and that you know if you as you when i seek permission on private land i I try to give some background some context right like i'm not just calling up saying hey my name's caleb and i want to hunt i mean i'm (laughs) I'm like caleb i like schlock and big bucks can (laughs) i come do that for you it's like uh (laughs) it's like hey i'm caleb this is what i do this is kind of who i am a little bit my me and my friend kent you know we're coming out here he works in this this industry and kind of give them a picture of it's just some of the depth and, and obviously in this area when i you know mention some of these things some different maybe some things that relate to them um, yeah. It starts to build a little trust, and then when you put the face to, to the name and you meet him in person, I think it gives them some peace of mind of like, you know, because we yeah. even had this happen. Actually, I think it was the first night we were there. We got back to camp, and the 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 property owner that they were staying on, he we were we were talking with him, and he got a phone call, and someone was like, "Hey, did you give someone permission to be out here hunting coyotes?" You know, and you know just that there's people around you know that are talking the local people talk to each other they communicate they have and especially as remote as we were they're a community i mean like they know they rely on each other for those sorts of things to a degree um so yeah it's just a great a great thing to do it's a courteous thing um 
but yeah, so we did that, and then it was like, I even, I'll, 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 t- I'll even admit it. I was like, oh yeah, let's go like settle into camp, and you were like, dude, let's go. We got it. Let's just get in there. Yeah, and man. I was like, all right. So we headed in. Yep. And uh, right away, as we were driving in, we bumped uh, three white-tailed does. Yep. At first, we weren't used to looking at the differences between the two, and I think. I thought they were uh, muley does, but after spending nearly a week looking at these things, um, we know for sure they were white-tailed does. Well, because their ears is a big factor. The ears know? and just leg, the, leg the difference length. in the, the tails and the, yep. the really the butts. You know? Yeah. The, the muleys have these, they kind of almost look like a cow tail, uh, like a miniature cow tail, you know, and... Uh, they have these white rumps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might be thinking, well, so do white, don't white tails? Yeah, kind of. But it, for white tail, it's more like all connected to the tail, you know, like the width of the tail. Right, it extends outside. Right. Of like, and Well, and the, the width of their tail is only a couple, maybe a couple right. inches. Whereas the entire rump of a mule deer is that whiter fur color. Right. And so anyways... We get in there, though, and uh, we, we see those right away, so we're getting fired up. We're like, yeah, we're in a great spot. And even still, before we park, Caleb spots really what in, truly were a muley doe and well, fawn. Think, well, or was it when we had hopped out? Because we had to do some gear Maybe, yeah, it was when shuffling. we hopped out or something. But, yeah. But uh, we were getting ready to go or something, yeah. and boom, right away, here's some muleys. So we're, like, really jacked at this point. Get all our stuff on, start hiking around, climbing up these just big hills. And, and it's important to say, you know, we were talking about how on the way out we were, like, drooling over this country we're seeing. At that point, it was very much so a... I'm guessing that unit that we, when we started seeing this was probably Calamus West or maybe Sand Hills at that time. Um, and probably kind of the edge of that, actually. Calamus West going into the Sand Hills unit. And uh, there were a lot of cedar trees. Right. And right. Uh, then that transitioned more into the Sand Hills. Yep. And then eventually that transitioned more into uh, the hard prairie that we were on. Very rocky, uh, zero trees. I mean, and, pretty uh, barren. Wide open. I mean, almost like you're hunting a moonscape, you know. <laughs> and and uh, it was cool. Like, it wasn't like, oh, man, where'd all the cedars go? We, like, we were just excited to be seeing all this new landscape that we've never, well, never been on before. Yeah, and I think to give a good picture, I mean, we're talking about some snow snow had been there um about a week or 10 days probably 10 days before we got there they had they told us five to six inches of snow so that was melting off still yep so some we have some places where there's snow that's pretty prevalent and other places you know it's there's no snow at all um yep it's almost like miniature i don't know if, i don't know if i call it miniature mountains but it's you hundreds of feet of elevation up and down gaining oh, yeah. and losing and um it's just, it was just beautiful, super unique. Nothing like I've ever been in yep. before. I don't think either of us, but no, certainly no. I had never been. You know, there's cactuses. There's 
There's um, yucca. Tons of yucca everywhere. Uh, there's which uh, those of, are extremely sharp, by the way. Yes, yes. A lot of blue grama, and what I think was like a shorter uh, ecotype of I think it was Indian grass, but I could be wrong. Um, but all these prairie plants, right? Short and, blue stem or something? Is uh, that right? Little blue stem. Yeah, little blue stem. That yep. was glad cool. you brought that up. Lots of little blue stem, which was just beautiful. And that was basically there from Calamus West all the way out to there. You know, Sand yeah. Hills had tons of it, and, and so did so did the Plains unit. But um, so we're just you know like taking all this in, and uh, we're hiking up and down these. I guess we can call them hills. Bluffs might be a more accurate yeah uh, term. You know, they're they're pretty substantial terrain features, and uh, you know, an hour in. We like come around this this uh, hillside. So we'd kind of gone up a hill, yeah, down, and then we came back up. I mean, this is our second ascent, if you will. Yeah, and and I can't remember who it was, but one of us is like, dude, there's a deer right there. Mm-hmm. And there were there ended up being a group of four muley does that were just chilling on this hillside, just uh, just bedded down for. I think it was yeah, it was at the top. Remember, there was a there was a rock. Um, kind of a rock ledge right there, and this doe was just feeding, you know, right yeah. there, and uh, yeah. And so we were like, "All right, you know, we're in them." And so that's when we decided, but we weren't like, you know, it's it's day one. Well, let's give one hour, right? Yeah, one hour into yep. day one, and we weren't ready to, you know, squeeze the trigger on a doe yet at this point we wanted to hold out for a bucket it only stood to reason man if we're seeing does this quick right surely there must be bucks in here somewhere and so we're like but you know what let's do like a practice stock right on these and caleb the whole time this practice stock is going on his his like killer instinct is like getting it's kind of like you know playing growing playing tug of war with a pit bull eventually they're going to come for your arm right like you're, you, 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 you know, you don't, you don't get something started that you don't want to finish, right? And uh, <laughs> Caleb is like, he's like, I'm like about starting like, something yeah. that he's ready to finish, you know? And uh, so we, this practice, air quotes, practice stock turns into a, a hunt. I mean, it's yeah. a spot and stock hunt at this point. And we did some. Um, and I think I think something you know we we got it we got a chance to when we talk about day two kind of circle back we of how we learned about what we did maybe incorrectly in that stock, but we we really we went way around. I mean we took and it was pretty steep. I mean I, yeah. I can remember we were sliding on some of that more loose rock a little yeah, bit and we were up kind of high and um, kind of scary. <laughs> You know, yeah, treacherous. Um, I mean, if you were up there in the dark, it would be very dangerous. Right, right. Um, you could, you could. And have the a snow, nasty you know, you, you some of the faces you're you're walking on, you could step on a yucca, or yep. maybe there's a little clump of some of that that shorter prairie grass, and it would give you a good foothold. But sometimes you're having to take a couple quick steps across some slippery rocks that are that are loose or snow, and you don't really know what the underside. So, um, and, and plus, you're trying to, you know, it's a stock, so you got to be mindful of your wind and everything else. Long story short, yep. we get up to this spot where those does were, and I don't know if our wind 
went over to him, which mm-hmm. we shouldn't have stunk yet. I mean, no. we were, we, we, were our we were, uh, <laughs> we had a bath that morning and that's the last bath we've had, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, or showers, I guess, at the hotel from the night before. And of course, we use scent-free soap and deodorant and all that stuff. All our clothes are nice and clean, you know, freshly washed before the trip. Everything's like all set perfectly. So, you know, that being said, you, I am a firm believer in doing scent, you know, scent eliminating measures. But I am not. I do not. I'm not so naive that I think that that solves all your scent problems. Like number rule number one is still play the wind. Right. Um, I think doing those other measures helps buy you some forgiveness. Yeah. And and, yep. and uh, same thing with like cover scents like uh, nose jammer. I think that can help give you a little more wiggle room in the and, scent yep. game. And I think in this in this stock too, it's it's important to note so. We're talking about we're probably a f- 250 to 300 yards from these deer at the start. Yep. And we're there's two ridge. It's a ridge or two between us. The yeah, wind if it is, was rifle season, we definitely could have had shots right away. Right away. And on and these and we um, so the only move we had was to back down the ridge and try to circle around and eventually we were going to be right in line our wind was right in line with them but we figured it's far enough away that it's we'll be able to complete the stock yeah so we we tried to circle wide and you know play that wind well but also you know we didn't know they they appeared to be very alert even though they were bedded down it was almost like they had one deer you know on watch i'd compare it to like the others were, yeah. were betting you geese know? in a field right yeah they were, they they were like around? you know three of the deer were literally laying in beds mm-hmm. but one deer the deer that we spotted right away was standing up like in the wide open just standing there and just kind of like looking around you know and so we were really worried that we were gonna you know crest a ridge at the wrong time or peek out around the corner at the wrong time or something so we we like swung way wide and looking back we probably swung too wide too wide and well we did actually because day two we kind of went back to that same spot and we popped over there's a there was kind of a from the initial point we had we had to drop behind this one kind of glassing knob and then between that glassing knob and the next high point there's a little saddle, and we stayed below that saddle, but I think we found out if we would have just popped on that saddle, they couldn't have seen us. Yeah. We could have gone down and back up and probably been within 120 yards or right. so of them. But. Right. That being said, though, so we ended up, we, we get, you know, just uh, for sake of time here, uh, we ended up getting into where we thought we'd be in good position to get the drop on them. They're gone. I mean, and we <laughs> had no idea how long they have been gone because it took us probably a good 45 minutes. Yep to get into that position so they were gone gone we so we you know go check out their area and yeah very clearly they've been bedding there all day long you know right. you can see melted snow in their beds what was also interesting was they were not like what going into this i was planning to basically treat this like a shed hunt you know it's winter time right you know there's snow on the ground where do deer like to be when it's cold you know 
they like to be on south facing slopes and and we wanted to be on the leeward side of these slopes yep. out of the wind but that wasn't the case they weren't necessarily really out of the wind uh, maybe a little bit and this particular but they were bedded setup, on the yeah. north side and bedding in snow yeah and what it illustrated in, in talking with one of the landowners down there is a, a cattle rancher he told us that there were at least five sustained days with 70 below zero wind chills um, last uh, year last year so these animals that are that are here they survived that they survived 70 70 degrees below zero wind chill factors that uh you know that killed a lot of other deer but mm -hmm. they were built to handle that extreme of weather and so when we're there and it's like you know 35 degrees or whatever it was that day i think mm -hmm. it was or 34 something like that yeah that felt great you know that's like a that's like perfect temperature for both mule deer and whitetails. You know, that's what you're looking for in the rut. That gets deer up on their feet. They're feeling good. You know, they got their winter coats on. They're not overheating, you know, running around and stuff. And so, really, that plan to just key in on the south-facing slopes and leeward side. Leeward side ended up being pretty yeah. accurate. Yeah, that's just, that yeah. did, and especially as the days got windier. Yep. Um, this day wasn't particularly windy, though. And... Uh, you know, it was just kind of a, a good, I don't know, wake-up call right away. Like, hey, this isn't going to be so easy. You know, you can't mm -hmm. just ride off these north-facing slopes and go all straight south-facing and all that. And and you could tell, though, that all the south-facing slopes were basically all the snow was melted off of them. Yep. And so, you know, it was, it, it was a better spot for bedding as far as being out of snow and being in, you know, dry grass and stuff like that. But the deer did not show preference to that yet. I think, you know, come the end of the muzzleloader season in Nebraska, I think, yeah, that would be yeah. a great spot to key in on would be a south-facing slope um, out of the wind. And and so that was, that was a good, like, lesson to learn right away. But I also think this. I, you know, I think Caleb... You know, we were just talking about how, you know, you, you start, you know, playing around or toying around with this thing. You start to get into this mode of, okay, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. Here, I'm here to fill a tag. I think that we still would have had some apprehensions. Pulling At this the point. Pull, yeah, yeah. On, on day one, pulling the trigger on a mule deer doe without even yet laying eyes on a mule deer buck. Yeah, and I think it we 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 kind of had stopped. Well, we stopped after that. We sat down. We got to eat some some deer jerky. Yeah. And kind of yeah, just Yeah, not Walmart yeah. uh summer sausage. Yeah, we this was a doe I harvested actually over uh yeah. Thanksgiving and it was able to connect with uh my mom and get this this meat for this trip and got to kind of chat over things and it's kind of cool cuz I mean as this hunt went on I mean, even now as we reflect back, we're thinking more about things we're learning, but we're piecing it together like real time. I mean, it's yeah. and it's and it's the first time. It's not like it's anything like we've ever hunted. The terrain is way different. It's yep. completely different. So it's like a complete 
just piece it together as you go. So we're we're constantly talking through that throughout the throughout the hunt. But yeah, I do agree. You know, we we would have maybe been like, oh man, uh, this day one should we do this? And I think I was even saying that to you, like I'm ready. I, I by the end I was kind of just like, you know what, I'm ready. And you were like, uh, you were like, but yeah, you, we were kind of like t- toggling back and forth, trying to yeah, trying to I find that reason. Ready. I would have been fine with you shooting a mule deer doe, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I really want to get try and get a buck. Yep. And yep. and um, so we got back on I'd these say, deer, though. Yeah, yeah, we get back on these deer. We see them again, and uh, so wherever they went, they came back. And it was almost like they wanted to get back to that spot because yep. they stayed with it. But they saw us from way out. Yeah, like it was probably, crazy. Probably four or five hundred yards out, they spotted us up on their their ridge. Well, we went to their kind of their right. bedding zone to cut them off. And so yeah. we we tried to put another stock on them, and uh, we accidentally almost <laughs> almost got in front of them. Yeah, we accidentally almost made it happen. They we disappeared off the ridge to them so all right sweet let's go ahead to our spot and we were just trying to circle around and they were trying to circle around in the same direction so we ran right into each other yeah and uh that was at about 240 yards just yep. out of range for a muzzleloader um and i know a lot of people out there think that oh muzzleloader is a 200 yard gun and yeah sure it can be i think but uh muzzleloaders just don't have that knockdown power that a rifle does um at at uh great distances like within 100 yards yes they you know they'll drop deer but but uh you know out out at range like that it's just it, it just doesn't have that that zip that a that a rifle round does you know neck down rifle round like a like a you know uh 30-06 or right. 308 or something like that it's gonna it's gonna just punch with and so so uh we didn't take the shot they spooked ran off and that was really it for yeah. for day one and then day two you know again for sake of time uh for day two we uh saw all this second rut activity so well, we, should we should talk say, about we should talk about that oh yeah it started that night we yeah, had the night before we drove up we, the hill to get we have to get service. we had like a cell service bull off that we stayed yeah. staying in this valley we had no cell like basically when we drove down in the valley we're cut off from civilization yes. so if I mean? you're you know a friend of mine or or a family member of mine that was trying to get in contact with me i'm sorry there's nothing i can do there's no service <laughs> Which was kind of nice too. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to bring this point up. We were dialed. Yeah. Like this whole hunt, we were fully committed. So much so that like we were barely eating. Yeah. Um, and not like oh I'm so hungry. No, we were no. just like, we you know we're going. We're gonna get a deer. It's the starving wolf theory. You yeah, know I shared yeah. with you. Um, basically. My the idea is that if you are if you're out it's like a, if a coyote or a wolf they're they're hunting for their meat and every second they don't they don't harvest that or catch a rabbit they're basically starving you know and we were somewhat doing the same thing not purposefully but it was almost like our instincts yeah. kicked in in that way and of course we brought some snacks along and 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 had those you know when we'd have breaks and stuff but we, we were far from eating like three square meals yeah. a day we were just going yeah. Anyway, put, so we saw some. We we had to get cell service that night to call family. 
and we we ended up seeing our first the first sighting of second red activity yep couple mule deer bucks chasing around this hot doe or not really chasing around but just following yeah. around yeah and uh probably the biggest mule deer buck. for dominance and one of the i think it was the biggest mule deer buck we saw on the trip that i don't think he was so. busted I, I, I think he was good size but i think the one that we saw uh two days later was bigger in my opinion but anyways he was nice he was real nice Definitely, Caleb and I would have shot him for sure if we could. Even though, even with the broken tines. Yeah, even with the broken tines, he was nice three by three. Um, well, <laughs> kind of a one by three. Yeah, he's but <laughs> but uh, but it was so we we're like all you know. Once again, it's like that refresher that gets you all excited and jacked up. There's bucks, you know. And uh, the next day we go and we hit it real hard. And right on the way in. Uh, we're seeing the second rut activity first thing in the morning. We see Frank the Tank, this Frank nice white tail buck. How many? Three or four white tail bucks? I yeah, think. three or four white tail bucks chasing around. You know, just like real, real like frisky and and summer following does around and stuff like that. We're like, wow, this is incredible. You know, you hear about the second rut, but in Iowa, and I'm sure there's exceptions to this, but to me in Iowa, you really don't see the second rut much at all because, and probably the same in Illinois, because there's gun seasons going on during that time. And uh, I think a lot of that second rut activity probably takes place after hunting hours, you know, in the dark, nocturnal activity. And, um, you know, during the day, those bucks are just hunkering down trying to avoid the Orange Army. And so for us to be able to see this second rut activity was just really cool, just from like an interest in the deer world standpoint, you know. Yeah, and we saw it so much. I mean, I yeah, think. Yeah, oh, I th- every and, day. Yeah, and, it, and, I, and I think, too, if you've never seen it before, the way that I would describe it, if you've seen rut activity, um, it's you think of a, you know, a buck nose to the ground, dog and a doe, sometimes they're sprinting right i mean it's it's really yeah. really intense and this was it's very dialed down and i you know that basically like they're not they're they're maybe sniffing a little bit and but they're they're kind of like steady yeah just like a steady follow it's around. not a trot even really it's just kind of a walk <coughs> um like but there was some seeking too that we saw again, oh yeah again and, today even when we were leaving we you know, we drove past this nice mule deer yep, buck. And, just walking. And he was just out, and he could not care less about us. He was, he would have been a very easy harvest. <laughs> we got to within uh-huh. 75 yards of him two different times. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, um, anyways, we, uh, so we're seeing all this, and, uh, you know, we, we drive into the spot where we have permission to hunt, mm-hmm. and, we do not see a we spent 10 hours hiking around we hiked just shy of 10 miles that day and we covered so many acres i mean we left and the we truck did not early. see a single deer on the ground that we could hunt until that evening uh we got we got some more permission the night before on some neighboring ground yep and we came across five white-tailed does and being that it was only day two of the hunt we decided yep. to to pass on the white-tailed does, um, uh, but it was encouraging to see them and have them close by. But uh, you know, at this point, it's starting to like be like, man, this is gonna be this is gonna be a challenge, you know. And uh, so after that huge day, 
I mean, I hiking I, around I, on three different <laughs> prop, yeah, hit. three different property owners' pieces. Uh, we had permission on a piece of belf ground. Yep. Um, to hunt, we we you know were able to to get permission from the person leasing that. Um, uh, Caleb called up to the one of the landowners who had said, "If you guys are struggling and you can't find something, I got this other place where you can go." And you can probably get a doe there, but here's the thing: he was this on this ground. He didn't own it; he managed it, so he wasn't able to uh, give us like wide open permission to harvest whatever we wanted. We had the stipulation that we could not harvest mule deer bucks, and so at that point, Caleb was 100% dialed in on getting a mule deer doe. Yeah, and. Um, a mule deer doe obviously went up in my priority list as well mm-hmm. um, at this point. And so for me, my pre- my preference at this point was probably whitetail buck, then mule deer doe. Yeah. Um, just after seeing some, some whitetail bucks, man, they were just nice, nice bucks. It was cool to see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you ca- you, and, when you keep seeing, they keep walking in front right, of you. You're right. like, oh, my goodness, how much more can your brain take? Right. right? Yeah, you want that. And so we get permission onto this piece, and uh, the guy's like, the ranch manager's like, all right, come here at 7 the next morning. I'll drive around and show you some spots you should, you should consider hunting. So we do that right away. We see a mule deer buck following a doe. We, we see these, this other group of does out feeding, and we're like, oh, man, we're, you know, here we go. And... Um, try to make a stock on those does that were feeding right Caleb yeah and I think I, I mean I just day two I mean the, to the perspective too of that I mean that day was was exhausting I mean that oh, was yeah. that was a mentally and physically taxing day yeah and so um it, it was you know going we, we were we had we were excited you know to hop in the truck with this uh this ranch manager um you know and then we, we yeah we basically got back to our vehicle you know had dro- had to drive back we <laughs> had to drive back into the property a little ways and then hike from there you know and I think it was uh, funny because we were kind of expecting more of a whitetail style of hunt or, if, or yeah. maybe a Midwest type of a oh there's gonna be some ag fields in here and we can set up on those and yep. these deer are probably gonna filter out in the evenings and maybe in the mornings a little bit moving back to bedding and yeah it was kind of a little more that we, that we kept driving us back and we're like oh this is gonna be a little yeah. more work but but yeah we we uh i remember we got to the truck we're we get out there we after we had seen where we a decent idea where these deer were and uh we got all ready to go i mean it was we were pretty confident i, I felt like at this point we were feeling pretty good and you were like man you're like if our best chance to get a shot at the deer is like right now you know yeah. we were like yep. we were like we, this is it this is a good this is a, our well our best chance so far yeah we had fresh intel that there were mule deer in that in that valley and um we we uh so essentially we ended up hunting like we'd been doing yeah you know backpacking you know checking coolies being careful not to get exposed and I think a half hour in, Caleb spots our first, you know, our first group of bedded does. Yeah, I and popped so, over a ridge. It was like yeah. just over the just, and we were creeping. I mean, we were we were not 
Yep. Moving quickly. Um, but just efficient, steady. Yep. Yeah, and I saw this bedded mule deer doe facing away. Could see the big old ears. Yep. Um, I lost my mind a little yep. bit as soon as I saw that thing and was ready to just throw <laughs> it, throw rocks at it to, to harvest it. I mean, I was excited. So yeah, I had to, like, get Caleb to, like, calm down and, like, use real words yeah. to, like, explain to me what he was seeing. And he was ready to go. And so uh, we... We get into position. There were, we saw there were two does there. We each, you know, chose one that we were gonna, we could have a clear shot at. <coughs> Excuse me. Still getting over that cold. Uh, so we each chose one that we we could get a clear shot at, and um, we did a three count, and we both missed. Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. clean missed both oh, these deer. Man. We're still not sure what happened. I mean, it was super windy, like gusting yeah. right into our faces. Probably 30 mile an hour yeah, gusts. Probably, yeah, probably. 20 something mile an hour sustained. Yeah, it was it was really windy, and and uh, I don't know if that like, you know, caused us to move our barrels a little bit or something, or um, maybe even messed with the flight of the you know the slugs. Uh, I'm not really, I'm not really sure how, but we both clean missed these, and they weren't even that far away. They're like 85 yards or something like that. Yeah, and then yeah, and and uh, we both just clean miss them. No blood, you know, nothing limped away or any even looked remotely like it'd been. You know, well, and the nice hit. thing was they they ran across this valley, yep. and they went up the other side, and the whole other face again where you talked about the south facing was no snow, north facing had a bunch of snow. So a bunch of snow is what the, they ran to a north-facing slope, yep. and it we, we you walked over there and checked the tracks, everything. I mean, there was yep, without no a boy. shadow of a doubt, not not even close to hit. Yep. So we're like, you know, it hurts your confidence a little bit, you know, choking like that. But it almost felt like a success though, just to get a shot. Like it almost yes, felt like yeah. it was like we just we we we. We got in close enough to pull off a shot, and they, you know, they stayed bedded the whole time. Yeah. Um, so that was good. I mean, I think I think we were both feeling kind of, kind of weird, but yep. positive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. So we were, we were, you know, counting it as a victory, a moral victory, and uh, we did some more hiking around. Tried to relocate the does again. Didn't find them. Ended up from way far away spooking a big mule deer buck who went tearing off so it's kind of cool you know yeah. cool to see him very cool um and uh we were like all right well i guess uh well, we already planned to take a couple hours that day to regroup and what what take is mid-morning take probably a, by now yeah take a midday break and then go back out you know early in the afternoon and hunt till hunt till dark and so we took a nice midday break and uh on our way down off the uh, plateau oh yeah yeah caleb's like can't look at this well I, like, I almost stepped on it I yeah mean, I, I stepped i was probably like two feet from it when i first spotted it but. yeah up poking through the snow just the tips of the tines the top inch and a half maybe two was inches a really nice old but nice mule deer shed 
And uh, so, you know, that was, of course, one of our goals going there was, hey, let's not only get some mule deer, but let's try and find some sheds if we mm -hmm. if we have the time. And so that was a huge pick-me-up, too, following the, oh yeah, you know, the successful stock, unsuccessful shot. Um, uh, and so, we, you know, Caleb grabs the shed. We were super happy, excited about that. And... Um, I think a key point here before we get to when we took our midday break is when we were leaving, we had seen that mule deer buck and doe kind of head up into these the, this plateau yeah. and coulee. And we, we drove over to where we last seen them, and we, we had a fresh, we had a certain direction, fresh, you know, fresh intel. And we had just completed this successful stalk, and we yep. were like, should we go stalk in there and see if we can't get on that doe? Yep. And then we both sat there for just like a, maybe a minute, and it was like, "No, let's just back off and let's go do our let's just regroup do our midday break, stop at the we made a plan basically for our midday break, and then um, continued." But I think that's a, that, I think I think that's really key for the yeah uh, the hunt. Yep. yep, definitely. So we take our midday break, and um, we get back out there at a good time, great time, really probably by 1 30 or so and actually on our way in mm -hmm. we spot from the road on the ground that we can hunt that we have permission to hunt a group of uh does both mule deer and uh whitetail yep and so right away we were into another stock and uh it was going pretty good but we you know once again you know it's challenging when you're hunting a large group like that because that's a lot of noses and a lot of ears and a lot of eyes that you gotta, you know, beat. And so, I think looking back, we probably were a little too cautious there, and we probably should have just taken a, uh, you know, a moment to just kind of, you know, well, the initial charge stop. in and, yeah. and, and just make it happen. Yeah. But so, anyways, we thought those deer had left because we saw them get up and kind of walk out of sight a little bit. So we went and we uh, decided to hunt this feeding area that the landowner had told us that mule deer like to come out to in the evenings. And uh, so we headed that way and Caleb said something interesting. He said, I just hate leaving deer to find deer, which I've heard that phrase before, but it was, is like very applicable to mm -hmm. what we were doing. It's like, yeah, you're kind of right. You know, we, we know we have some right here. And, and at this point, we're both all in on shooting whatever gives us a shot. You know, <laughs> even if it's a white-tailed doe, you know, we're, we're, we want to bring some meat home. And so we leave these deer to go find more deer. And we and, got, we kind of got, got stuck. Yeah, we kind of got some uh, paralysis by analysis on where we should set up. And uh, we just could not really pick a spot. And in the midst of that... The spot kind of picked itself for us because yeah. I look up and about 500 yards out, here come uh, mule deer doe and two bucks following her. Well, and initially, we thought it might have been three bucks. So we thought, yes, oh, yeah. this is awesome. And then we thought, oh, this is not great because yep. we can't hunt bucks on this property. Yep. Um, but, yeah, we, we confirmed, confirmed the lead deer was, in fact, a mule deer doe. Yep. And then it was game on. Yeah, so we hopped into these cedars that were planted um, by somebody at some point. Awesome cover. 
tons yeah. of deer sign in them. Mm-hmm. The deer loved them. I think it's kind of midnight deer sign, you know, when they're out kind of chewing their cud as, after, after um, you know, grazing on the alfalfa fields and stuff. Yep. That, you know, they, they uh, you know, I think they had spent time in the evenings in there because there was nothing in there when we went there. And it just served as the perfect cover uh, to get the drop on this mule deer doe that was leading these two bucks along. So it kind of started feeling like, uh, you know, like a, like a home field advantage, you know, like almost like we're doing a whitetail hunt at this point. You know, we're tucking into these cedars, and and so here come this this uh, you know mule deer doe along. Caleb and I are like moving back and forth inside these cedars, and I think you know a key thing about that patch of cedars, though, Caleb was, and I thought about this kind of afterwards, was if it had only been two rows of cedar trees, yep. I don't know that we could have gotten away with all the moving around that we had to do. Uh, to get into position, but it was three rows of cedars wide. Yeah. And it just offered so much good cover because if there was a gap in the trees, you could just, like, jump over a row, and it would fill in that gap for yeah. you. And uh, so Caleb kind of, like, starts out. He's like, I think I'm going to go down to the end. I'm like, well, let's wait a second. Let's see how, you know, if they're going to end up going that way or maybe you're going to have to take a shot from here kind of in the middle. But she just kind of stayed on this angle that was going to put her, like, perfectly in yep. line with the end of that row of cedars. So you went flying down through there, and I was going to join well, you. I dropped all the way back. I went behind the third row. I mean, Yeah, yeah. You yeah. went, But you went flying down there, and yep. I was going to join you, but I was st- – the way the th- – the so, so, again, we have the doe, the hot doe that's leading along this big – mule deer buck and then yep. I don't know 30-40 yards behind him is this uh, um, subordinate yeah you know uh, but still like a cool like like if we could have shot muley bucks we would have shot him oh either I was yeah either one of us would he have was, taken he was him. a nice enough buck for sure was following behind that so we had three muleys coming through but again only permission to harvest muley does on this property so that last buck i just felt like he was starting to notice something our movement in there uh inside these cedars and so i stopped i didn't go all the way there where caleb did and i just like set up on the fence did you you were like tucked in because we'd lost sight we weren't lost sight of each other at this point but you were like tucked into those things right yeah because i was worried he was spotting me um, yeah, you dove. I mean, there was. I mean, you were you you had to have branches all over you. I yeah, mean, you were, I, I tucked in there because I didn't. Well, I didn't want to screw it up for you. I was like, sure, you know sure. what? This is a golden opportunity. And I even said to you, if you get a shot, go ahead and take it. And it, uh, and I had lost sight of. <laughs> yeah. I had lost sight of the uh, doe and the bigger buck. Right. You know? Yeah. And. And uh, so I just didn't want to spook that right that remaining. And I, plus, I was worried. Well, if that far out buck can see me, yep, those other two might see me, and then the whole thing's over. Right, right. So then, what do you see at that point? Yeah. So when I bu- when I dropped behind <coughs> the three rows of cedars, um, 
I I had to book it down the edge um, and get down to there's a it's kind of I guess it'd be in a very elongated rectangle is the best way to describe yeah. this and with it of a fence line and within that fence line is these are these three rows of cedars it's probably a hundred and fifty to two hundred yards long but it's probably only fifteen to probably 20 25 yards wide is all it is so when i'm i got all the way down to the end i had a shooting stick in my pack i was able to get out just a just a a singular shooting stick um i was able to get in between the third row and the second row uh we were probably only 10 yards apart i could kind of hear you um but right before well, I, I paused right before I went around the end, and I tried to look back. And I when I, I looked back, and I remember seeing the big mule deer buck, mm. and he was within range at this point. I mean, he's at like oh, yeah. sixty to eighty yards. I mean, he is already in range. So I'm like, oh my goodness, this muley doe has to be right here. So I, as quick as I could, I I got him between those the the, the two last cedars, um, and there was thankfully some taller brush right there as well to serve as front cover and I had the cedars as back cover um I don't know what the what the type of fence is called it's almost like a goat fence it's like got squares in it so you've got barbed wire that run north to south on these cedars and then the ends are like this square yeah it's just like a like like a fence panel yeah yeah and so there's two or three of those at the end and uh just to keep the cows out of those cedars yeah right and so so she's uh, the doe. As soon as I get set, I, the doe is right there. She comes within view, and she's at like within fifty to sixty yards, and she's coming straight into the the perfect window that I have. Um, but now I've got to navigate this fence. Um, and about this time is when is when you were like, I I didn't I couldn't quite make out what you were saying because it was it was kind of windy. There were cedars between us, but I heard like shoot if you shoot can you something like can you shoot basically um and so i basically thought okay that means kent can't shoot or something um so now i'm trying to aim at this doe through these squares um i couldn't rest my gun on the on the shooting stick and get a shot off so i i I came to the conclusion i'm gonna have to basically freehand this shot holding my shooting stick upholding the front of my gun and just tuck the butt as firm mm-hmm. as I can against my shoulder. Um, so I raised it above the fence. She kind of paused when she got first downwind of us because um, she was downwind of us at this point. Like they yeah. were they were going to cut our wind. Um, and between the cedar scent and probably some of the nose jammer we put on, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, she, yeah. she, she stopped kind of smelled but she didn't quite like stick her nose in the air like a whitetail would yeah she wasn't totally totally alarmed and then she she took about she went about five yards further and when she got there i i had already decided at that point i raised my shooting stick up and i was like this is probably my chance i don't even want to wait to see if she's going to bust or not and so at that point i held i i felt steady i had my crosshairs right on right where i wanted to have them and i just um i just squeezed and uh and the shot went off which is, I guess is always something with muzzleloaders that <laughs> isn't a guarantee. Yeah. Um, and that's yep. uh, always a relief. And uh, and I and I could tell at first, you know, you, you don't know there's big sp- a plume of smoke and uh, and as soon as the smoke cleared, I could tell I'd hit her. She she went maybe 15 yards from where I hit her and she just she fell over and 
Yep. And that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Was, I was pretty excited then. Yeah, it was kind of a surreal thing. But at the same time, you know, um, you got to be careful because it's clearly getting into prime time because right. this deer just came out. And I can't stress to you guys enough how difficult it was to locate deer here. It's it, Yeah. It's... It's a totally di- everything is a different scale. It's kind of like um, <laughs> I've been talking late lately a few times with guys who were trapping in the good old days, um, you know, like the late seventies when there's kind of that little mini fur boom, and uh, guys are talking. Yeah, you know, uh, we just talked to one guy actually, yeah, one landowner who yep. was telling us, yeah, I made. $2,000 uh, in one night yep. uh, checking my traps. And you think of what what $2,000 was in the late 70s compared to what $2,000 is in 2023. Well, it's like the same thing when you go out west. You have way bigger country. Right. And you have fewer fewer deer. Yeah, density is a lot lower. <laughs> so your, your expanse goes up and your population goes down it's like you're it's a double it's a double challenge right mm-hmm. yeah. and so when you see you got some deer coming in you do not want to go into full-on celebration mode yet right where you're you know screaming and yelling so we're like kind of dialed down we're very happy but we're like man we got to keep hunting here we decided that because of the number of tracks where we were at there was a very good chance deer were going to be moving back through that yep. area yep. very soon. So we didn't want this dead deer to spook the other deer. So we went, tagged it, um, uh, got some you know real quick pictures that actually turned out really great. Oh, yeah. An awesome Phenomenal. backdrop and Phenomenal. everything. Phenomenal, yeah. And uh, then we dragged that doe over by where the vehicle was parked, which was out of the way. And that was another key yeah, thing. Yeah, I that think we that's did. a great point to bring because up. Because when we went on that first stock after, right after our midday break, we just parked in a spot that worked well for that to be out of the way. But then when we decided to hunt the evening or, you know, come down off that ridge and hunt in our evening location, um, the truck was going to be like right out in the yeah. wide open. And, and, uh, we we decided we needed to move it, and so we tucked it into this good hidden spot. And I think, had we not done that, I think that maybe that little, you know, a lot of the scent game, like I think that the cedars definitely helped cover our scent. Yep. And maybe the nose jammer too. I mean, I, I would suspect that it had that it did because I've watched nose jammer work so many times, and I doubt these deer are exposed to much nose jammer, so they can't really associate it with sure. humans. This is my first um, nose jammer experience, and but, I personally like the smell. <laughs> right, so maybe it helped, but I do think that she probably was getting a little bit suspicious. Mm-hmm. And when you mix that little bit of suspicion with a visual, so like when you start stacking up multiple sensory yep. alarms for a deer you're really starting to cook your goose yeah and i think if she had gotten that little bit of whiff of us plus seeing this vehicle sitting right there she would have spooked out of there I, and probably and who knows maybe not even come within range in the first place you know, yeah just i don't by seeing i, it I doubt she would have i think they yeah, would have hung up skirted away. around another way or just lingered out where they were out of range 
you know, whatever it, whatever it would have been. So I think it was a good move to get that vehicle out of the way. Yeah. And um, by the way, I heard that. Uh, I should say I heard somebody make that point. I think it was Tony Peterson on a Wired to Hunt episode within the last month or so. He talked about uh, I think they were single point failures, is what he called it. Like sometimes we're too lazy and we park too close mm. to and don't you know maybe we should park the vehicle a quarter mile you know, a quarter mile away out of sight instead of, you know, not that we're driving right up to the tree stand, but if, if our vehicle is visible, it's some kind of alarm to the deer, you know? Right. And so that's kind of what I was thinking. So I just want to give, you know, credit where credit is due there. And, uh, so we did that, dragged the deer over to there and then got right back in it. But we, man, those bucks just lingered forever. Guys, when I tell you that we could have shot bucks, we could have shot bucks. I mean, so it, I. I mean, it yeah. was, it was set up very nicely for us. Uh, we could have just let that doe walk, and then we would have both been able to take those two bucks that were trailing her pretty, yeah. and have plenty of time to set up and get a you know nice balanced shot off. But uh, we it, we got some great footage with the mag view through the binoculars yeah. through the through the fifteen buys that we rented from Alex at East West Hunts, and. Um, uh, just enjoyed watching them, but then it just started to feel like, man, just feels like the deer should be here by now. You know, well, more, we shifted, yeah, we shifted like all the way down to the end. Yeah, we kept moving back and forth in these cedars to try and get different vantage points. There was just nothing coming. So Caleb's like, you know, we kind of expected those deer that we saw earlier when we did our first stock um, after the break kind of expect them to be down here by now when we saw them move they are not down here what if we go try and meet them and and at first i'm like ah, we're just there's just so much deer sign here uh, but i you know i'm just really thankful caleb kept pushing it because like i don't know i think i think we can we can maybe run into them so it's like all right <coughs> excuse me we know that there were deer there we know that they haven't showed up here yet. Maybe they went somewhere else, but we knew they were there, so let's go see. And they didn't smell us, you know. Right. And I think the thing, another thing that's kind of fun is to note is, um, one of the one of the pushes that maybe pushed you over the edge for this was that I, no, you, sorry, when we when you I remembered this when we were kind of regrouping. You were you had said earlier. After we were, were kind of in that paralysis by analysis yeah. stage, you were like, well, why don't we sit till 4? And if, we, if at 4, nothing's going on, the last – it's about 52 minutes or so of light. Like the last 45, 50 minutes, let's go try to make a move on deer. And so when I was like, hey, remember you said this, and you looked at your phone – and it was four o'clock on the dot. Yeah, that's right. And, it, and you were—I remember just seeing your phone go out and click, and it was like four o'clock. It's like, oh, okay, all right, let's do this thing. Yep. So, so we so we bail. Yeah, that's a good point. That you brought that up. So we bailed out of those cedars, and we went walking to try and go in the direction that we thought maybe these does would have moved. Mm-hmm. And we went back up on that ridge, hiked, you know. Scale I mean, it was well, pretty steep. Yeah. It, was, it was probably a good 150, 200 feet above where we were. and uh, You got to spot more deer on the yeah, way up. Yeah, and I spotted more deer coming out of another field, and it was kind of like one of those things where it's – I think they actually kind of saw us up there. 
walking oh, really? around on the ridge. Just they were kind of staring up sure, there. Sure, sure. It's like, okay, well, that might be valuable intel for tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I don't think we can really make a play on these deer. It's too wide open there. and But it's good to know that deer come out over there. Well, and, you, while you were doing that. Yeah, and, you're, uh, yep. and I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep watching these, see if there's maybe an opportunity. Maybe they come in a lot closer down by this other row of cedars or something. Yep. And Caleb's like, you know what, I'm going to go over and and see if I can get eyes on the others. So what happened? So, yeah, to give perspective, too, we're, we're on this, this well, I don't even know, this hill. Kind of a plateau. Yeah, and ridge so up to a plateau. we're like a two-thirds of the way up to the top of this plateau. The deer that you're seeing are like, I don't know, they're a ways away. They're, they're, they're six, a seven, thousand yards yeah, away. They're forever away. Yep. And now, and the deer we were head stalked earlier, for, as a crow flies, they're probably less than 300 yards if they were going to be there, right? Yeah. And so I just went up this hill and uh, peeked over the top. As soon as I could, my head was starting to come over the top, I just kind of lifted up on my tippy toes. And, and right away, I, I saw the head of the white-tailed doe that was with She was those, a big doe. Yeah, and, and it, was, it was her and two muley does from earlier. And, and so as and, soon as I saw that. she had a white-tailed fawn, too. Yeah, right? as soon as I saw her, I just dipped below. I just trotted down the hill, and I was like, Kent, they're still there. They're still there. Do you want to make a move? And yep. I don't even think you even said anything. I think you just got up and started going yep. up the plat- to the top yeah, of the plateau. Like, yeah, this is our this is our play we got to try and make. And so we hike up there, and Caleb's like, you see him? You see him? And I'm like, yep, I, I can see the white-tailed doe. And we were kind of going to set up, but our wind wasn't great. Mm-hmm. And was, We were already on our hands and knees, I think, too, yeah, about to crawl in yep. there. And so I decided to bounce back so that way I could stand up and move. Because this, and this again, this is where when we had our failed, you know, when we missed our shot earlier, I told Caleb, you know what? It is, I, I, I have found through, you know, the years of hunting that I've done that those failures are actually very helpful in teaching you valuable lessons that propel you forward. And one of the ways that that did that for us was I realized we can't just, like, crawl and inch ourselves into position everywhere. It just takes too long. You know, and so I just dropped back. What, maybe fifteen yards from? Yeah, I was. Farther I from was. The edge so, yeah. I could, so I could stand up and yep. move efficiently. I was surprised how like it, it's just interesting. You know, when you've got the that the the upper angle on an animal, yeah. how you don't have to move back very far to allow that type of right. movement. And I think that was something I was shocked because I actually kind of stayed up and just kind of like hands and need crawl, crawl a little ways then eventually yeah. drop back with you and just followed you in. Yeah. And so I bounced back to get into a better wind position because I knew I was going to probably have to risk my visual. So again, they're again, trying to avoid having multiple alarms for the deer. I knew they were probably going to see something up on this ridge going on when I was getting into position to sh- shoot. Cause you gotta, you know, if you're going to be visible, if they're going to be visible to you, you're going to be visible to them uh, to have a clear shot. And I, so I, I didn't want to give them two alarms mm-hmm. and, and possibly even some sound with, cause it's all gravel and everything up there moving around. And so I bounced around, got into a better wind position, 
Caleb joined me. Caleb had the range finder. Yep. And he's like, which one do you want? And now we crawled probably oh, belly man. on our bellies yeah. thirty yards or so. Yep, we yep, we belly crawled up there. I got the bipod out on my on my muzzle loader. Wrist risking cactus in your elbow. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting like little cactus spines in my arm. You know, but it's like just cannot care about that stuff right now. It's time to be time to be in kill mode. And uh here's where things kinda got weird. Yeah. I thought we were looking at a mature mule deer doe with a fawn and a mature white-tailed doe with a fawn. And so when Caleb's like, which one do you want? It's like the easy shot was what I thought was the mule deer fawn. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't really want to shoot that little one. There's a bigger one over here to the left. I want to shoot that one. And so I told Caleb, I want the bigger one close to the fence. And he's like, the bigger one closer to the grass? I'm like, no, no, the, the bigger one closer to the fence. He's like, okay. So he gives me a range, and I think it was 125. Yeah, something about there. I mean, I and, was, yeah. Yeah, and she turns broadside, and we still don't know what's up. I kind of think my muzzleloader's hitting a little to the right. Uh, we did a test shot today after the fact because we needed to clean out you know clear out the barrel um but i missed to the right mm-hmm. and and high and but she responded interesting yeah yeah she acted like she was hit though and so i kept my eye on her well none of the and deer now you have to, really yeah they they the white-tailed doe jumped out and kind of but didn't know where anything was coming from i couldn't believe they couldn't see us up i know the ridge. that's shocking but they couldn't see us and so now I have to reload uh, a muzzle loader laying in the prone position. So you got to pour the powder down the barrel, got to jam a <laughs> projectile down the barrel. Yep. Uh, by the way, you got to take out the spent cap because otherwise it, it's really hard to force um, the bullet down the barrel because. Um, the air in the barrel can't escape through the flash hole because the cap is in the way. So I had to cr- crack open the breech, pull out the cap, then re-jam that bullet in and seat it in there correctly. All then, still on his belly. Yeah, all, still all on, on my <laughs> stomach. Yeah. And uh, then put a new cap in, and I kept my eye on her. Caleb did a great job keeping me, giving me range. I just slowed down, and... Uh, she was walking really slowly. She was at about the grass. 107. Yep. Came in actually closer after the first shot. That's how confused they were. And um, I I could have shot at that other one instead, but I just really felt like I hit that mm-hmm. that first one based on how she was looking. And so I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm going to stay with this one because I don't want to shoot two deer, you know. And... Uh, Caleb gives me a great range. She's nice and broadside, just slowly walking, easy shot. Squeeze off the shot, and again, I don't know if I pulled right a little bit, but I do I do think my, I need to maybe adjust my scope like maybe one or two clicks mm-hmm. to the left. And uh, because when, when I shot, I hit her like right at the correct, you know, vertical height. But I was back, mm-hmm. and I gut shot her. 
And we didn't know this though. At no, the, in the moment, we, no, we didn't yeah. know this in the moment. She act, at first, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Because she didn't, she didn't really react at all. She didn't really. Yeah, I, I would expect her to drop. You yeah, know? and, and you, you're just expecting to. Yeah, because I had it right on her vitals. And I'm like, "How did I miss?" You know. Right. Well, then she like takes walks ten yards and just drops. And we're like, yes, you know, it's, it, it happened, you know, we, we, we're all celebrating. Well, then what I thought this whole time was her fawn comes up and checks her out. Well, know, she, doesn't want to leave her, doesn't want to leave her, stays by her. And then finally she just like gets, you know, like I've seen it before, you know, they kind of spook and then they run off. And I'm like, okay, she's definitely, definitely dead down there. And so we're just kind of leisurely going. Well, then we see this head pop up. And it's like turning and looking around. And we're like, oh, no. And sure enough, she's still alive. So at this point, we have 12 minutes of light left. Yeah. Legal light left. Mm-hmm. So we quick run down the this, you know, this slope. And uh, I'm reloading as we're running down the slope again, reloading the muzzleloader again. And, uh, um, we get down there and I'm thinking I'm going to be able to, cause the way she hasn't gotten up, I think like maybe I broke a leg or, you know, some way she's not gonna be able to get away. Well, she gets up and runs like 40 yards. I'm like, Oh no, here we go. And, uh, we, I try to catch up to her bumper again, runs out of sight. We run out of light, you know, at this point. So we just go and we find blood by a spot that looked like pretty good habitat. Yeah. Mark it on Spartan Forge. And uh, then we realize we're going to have to come back tonight. Yeah. With a waiting game. Yeah. Had begun. And thankfully, Caleb had seen through his binos on the deer, he had seen that this bulge of guts Mm -hmm. out of the side of the deer. So we knew it was a, a lethal hit. Um, you know, unfortunately, of course, she's suffering at this point. Right. I felt awful about yeah. that. Um, but we knew we would have to come back. And so, uh, that's what we did. Yeah. So I kept telling Kent at this point, time is our friend because of the, uh, the nature of the hit, some mm-hmm. of the past experiences that I've had, unfortunately, but fortunately, um, with fatally wounded deer, um, is just knowing that they're a they're going to expire, but b they just need some time. Yep. So. Yep. So we went up. We got <clears throat> some cell service. Right? Well, we actually we field dressed my deer. That's and right. Put it on the back, which again it it just gave us a, a little more window of time, yeah, a reason to take right. some more time. That's right. We had to we had to field dress your deer, and then we had to go get service to report the harvest. Yep. We have forty eight hours after. Uh, tagging to report but we just want to do it right away and yeah so so uh which is a long time like if, just as a side note there my goodness yeah, that is a while is. i wonder if people forget sometimes right but but uh got that done you know of course that gives me a chance while he's doing that to text my wife hey you know caleb got one we got it uh gutted and loaded already um and uh well then we had to drive back to camp yeah yeah well yep. but also i like called so i, I oh, texted yeah, her about yeah, yeah. my deer 
I'm like, hey, say a prayer. You know, I tell my parents. I called my dad up, talked to my dad. He was really encouraging. And he was just positive the whole time. He's like, well, that's awesome that you got one. And I hope you find her. And, you know, that's just such a great story now. And it's like, it really made me feel a lot better to talk to him. And I also called um, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Weston, who is a, you know, just a really experienced deer hunter. And um, just somebody who understands deer really well. And I usually contact Weston when I have some kind of, you know, crummy situation with a marginal hit or something like that, just to get his opinion on what to do. And he gave me some good advice. And he was praying for me, praying we find this deer. And I felt a lot better after that. And I just kind of felt like, you know, <clears throat> low end, we could maybe give her three hours from impact. Yeah, we t- three, four. I think high we, end, yeah. six hours. Yeah, and then ultimately we could wait till the next day. But we were really worried about coyotes. Yeah, uh, getting to her and just ruining the meat, you know. And and so well, there's a couple. I think of things we kind of too. we kind of started at the four hour goal. Yep. Like let's get to four hours. So we go back. Well, we no, make some, I, I called the I called the property owner. Oh, that's right. I, yes. And, yep. and I think the great point you made there too, Kent, is just that when you when you have if you do have other friends, it's never a bad idea to get another opinion, you know, yeah. and describe it all. I think that's something that it's almost like you just like had a, a some you rallied yeah. troops behind you without having them there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure. Yeah, because Caleb and I can think we need to do one thing, but also the thing that Caleb and I have that a third party doesn't have is emotion like mm-hmm. we're we're excited we're wanting to get this done we're want you know we're worried about it slipping through our fingers you know so yep. we need like this impartial outside voice if possible to like verify our thought process yeah. so that we're no we're not just getting caught up in the heat of the moment type of thing right it helps keep you grounded make yeah. good decisions i think yeah and and so i so we had we had great just objective concrete you know, thought. Yeah. I think we were thinking well too, but I I think that was great to yeah, have. Yeah, then, have that confirmation that we had a good plan. Yeah. And called the property owner, let him know, hey, thank you so much. We had harvested one. We had a one that we we wanted to give some time. Made sure it was okay to go in there and, and take care of it. You know, or try to try to recover that animal that night. Yeah. Um, we had also we looked on Spartan Forge. While we were out there, again dropping the pen, we had map. We'd started to map out, you know, already how we were going to approach this when we went back there. But yeah, we did. We did end up heading. Yep. Back, um, and with the deer on the back, it also, we part of the road we had to travel. Most of it was pavement, but the last probably two miles is gravel. Yeah. And uh, and Kent lives. You live on gravel, so that yeah. <laughs> you're like you're gonna want to go pretty slow here. That thing's gonna get dusty. Yep. That's um, right. <laughs> So we drove like five miles an hour back, yeah. and um, we dropped the doe off at our campsite, you know, already field dressed. And we were worried about there, you know, I mean, we're still out in the country, you know, yeah. coyotes could definitely come up in the yard. Uh, the landowner had cats around and stuff, and, <laughs> yeah. and 
uh, dogs that I think were always in the fence, but we weren't sure. And raccoons. We'd seen raccoons yep. around and stuff. We didn't want anything scavenging this doe. Yeah. So we had a uh, we had another tent that we brought with us called the Pooh House. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's what we had to set our camp toilet in. So we kicked the camp toilet out yep. of the Pooh House, and we put the dough inside the Pooh House. And that was a great decision because yeah. um, the next day we woke up, the farmer's dog was sniffing all yeah. around. Yeah. I think the birds were trying to get at it a little bit. The, well, and a cat actually. Well, when we ate dinner that night, a cat yeah. got like on my the, my pickup's tailgate and stuff. Yeah, it was in the truck, you know, back of the truck, and and so we we did that. We cooked up some uh, Mountain House with the jet boil, and uh, we doubled down on coffee. Yeah, too. Doubled down on coffee, but at this point, old man Kent starts getting real sleepy. It's getting late, and. Um, I knew so I I when it gets late and I get sleepy there's no going back like some people can like ra- you know rally themselves back out of sleepiness or whatever you know they can like they can they can be you know wide awake if they slap themselves a few times or something not me it's a, it's a sight to I, see I'm I love no, it. it's I'm, an experience I, to I'm, witness it is a fast <laughs> descent into slumber and the best I can describe it is I basically I think I just have this sleep chemical in my brain that is like stronger than most people have and the only way I can get out of that sleepiness is to give into the sleep chemical I gotta go to sleep for a little bit like take a power nap and then it like flushes it and I'm recharged yeah so Caleb wanted to make some phone calls to his dad and kind of tell him, you know, about the deer he harvested and also his wife. So it was like worked perfectly. Drove back up to service. So I go to point, sleep. What, what time is it? It's probably so. Impact, yeah, this was like shot was like four thirty, I think. Yeah, I think we were at about four and a half hours in at this point. Yeah. We go up there. We spend probably close to an hour up there. Yeah, and I sleep about. for most of it. Yeah. And Caleb makes phone calls. He's watching some uh, hunting shows on YouTube. And I kind of just wake up. All right, ready to go. And so by this point, and this is really critical, by the time we get in there to start tracking, it's been six hours. Yeah, just past. Just past six hours. Yep. And Caleb, like you said, we mapped it on Spartan Forge. Also, visually, we looked at the landscape when mm-hmm. we when we decided to call off the pursuit earlier we decided to start when we went back looking at the bottom of this uh this hill to make sure that the the doe didn't cross the uh this bottom and go into uh um cross this fence and go into another part of the ranch and i think uh, the reason why that that the reason being so that it's in there's tall taller prairie grass for short prairie yeah um, it's kind of a mixed grass yeah area. and and but for some reason they had mowed this edge you know it's kind of this buffer strip and the the snow had stayed where it was mowed so we had this border of like white snow yeah kind of encompassing this this the outer edge of all of everywhere of where this doe had gone into so it was like well 
if we walk this and shine our lights and we really just comb it and we don't see tracks and don't see blood then we'll know that the deer is is somewhere yeah. within this it kind of gave us i you know our our crime scene if you will to yeah, set up right. kind of ropes it off for us right so so yeah so we that was a really good idea that caleb had to do that we we scan that area we don't find any any sign of her so we know she's most likely mm-hmm. right where we thought she'd be in that mm-hmm. taller prairie grass and so we hiked back up to last blood on top of this plateau marked it on spartan forge earlier um which that was a critical thing to do absolutely and it sounds like well yeah duh but i mean when you're in the heat of the moment in pursuit it's easy to lose discipline on that but i just knew i know i need to mark this so i marked it and i went right back to it and then i started the tracker yeah. on spartan forge because i figured we might end up having to grid this this um you know grassy draw and i want to make sure that we knew where we'd already been and so pretty quickly caleb starts finding more blood we go down in there eventually we find well then it just like we couldn't find any blood and we're basically right. gritting yeah <coughs> excuse me we're basically gritting and caleb finds a bloody bed yep great you know there's a lot of blood there we keep looking. We find another bloody bed in yeah. like three yards from there. So yeah. Not even that. Probably two yards. It was like stand up, oh, <laughs> take a step, and lay back down, basically. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for the cough, guys. Still getting over the cold. Almost almost better. But, uh, um, yeah, it's just great. Like, you can tell she's, you know, like she doesn't want to go far, and she doesn't, mm-hmm. you know. So we do that. But then she kind of goes a little ways again. We find another bloody bed. Then we kind of hit, I don't know, like a five-minute, like, oh, boy, we can't a lull, find anything. Yeah. yeah, a lull in the trail. Bear in mind, it's pitch black out. We're using headlamps and handheld flashlights. And it's like 16 degrees. Everything has, yeah, yeah, has it's like cooled way down. icy, like, yeah, you know, frost, frost forming yep. on it. And uh, we found a we find another. Then we find another bloody bed. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it was like there was just enough there to just keep us from getting, you know, desperate. And then sure enough, I turn my light up and I can see a leg. And at first I thought it was another dead deer from just some other, you know, predation or sickness or something. I think what it was was just like, you know, this... this uh, negative memory of ehd island when oh. we were finding other dead deer when we were trying yeah. to track caleb's buck um but it just like you know then i see you know clearly it's a gut shot deer fresh mm-hmm. dead and uh it felt so good oh man to you know see her there dead and here's the crazy there's two crazy things in all this crazy thing number one Definitely a mule deer. Definitely a doe. I was relieved to see that. You know, it wasn't yeah. like some button buck or something. Because uh, the landowners, you know, or the land manager said, make sure it's not a buck. But it was a fawn or like a yeah. yearling, you know. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a young deer. Yeah. And 
when I had seen it earlier, I thought for sure it was a doe. And I still don't, I mean, I, I still don't know why that registered that way. Like, I thought it was an adult, mm-hmm. you know, doe with her fawn. Right. Um, Caleb says maybe it's because the ears are so big on a mule deer. That definitely could be. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a young deer. But you know what? I was just so happy to have one. Yeah. That, that little young mule deer doe required 22 miles of backpacking, not just hiking, hiking with a backpack on. Yeah. And hundreds, hun- well, probably thousands of feet of elevation gain and loss. Oh yeah, no doubt that. about that. Yep. Yeah, within that, within the twenty-two miles. Yep. yep, thousands of acres covered. Yeah. Um, I mean, just you know, took three, at least three spot and stocks. Yeah. And, um, you know, to just be there and be tagging a mule deer, just felt so good. And the other thing that was interesting mm-hmm. was that she was still limp. And we no rigor yeah, had we, set in yet. We no rigor mortis. <laughs> we didn't even notice that until a little later, but yeah. Yeah, Caleb mentioned it later. I'm like, you're right. And why I say that is interesting is I really think that if we had only given her three hours, for sure she still would have been alive. Yeah. I think if we had only given her four hours, she would have still been alive. I agree. And I think if we had only given her five hours, she would have still been alive. And the reason I say that is because Caleb's was dead for two hours Yep. when we went back to field dress, and that thing was stiff as a board. Yep. Legs were locked up. Um, neck was locked up pretty well. Yeah. You know, rigor mortis had fully set in on Caleb's deer. And so I think it just goes to show you, it goes back to what Caleb was saying, time is our friend. And it really helped to have all those other distractions. I'm glad I got sleepy on our way out there, you know, and took a nap. Glad we went back and had supper and put your dough up. Yeah. and, And made those phone calls and all of that because... It helped take my mind off of that sense of urgency that would have brought me in there too early and would have would have uh, spoiled an opportunity. Yeah. And so we got, you know, we got her recovered, thankfully. Got her dressed. Of course, we tagged her before, we, you know, we tagged her as soon as we found her, which that was challenging because, yeah. oh my uh, goodness. you know, uh, Nebraska is very easy to uh, draw, you know, to get an OTC tag, which is awesome. They just have, you don't have to get a separate hunting license. You just get the tag, and that is your hunting license and yep. your tag. You, you have to pay the habitat yep. fee, which is good. Um, but then you just print your tag off like it's a piece of computer paper. <laughs> and Caleb and I were like, dude, oh, this thing's going to get ruined dragging <laughs> and, you know, dragging a deer yeah. out and stuff. and snow and blood and everything so caleb laminated his you have which to sign is great it. you gotta sign it and then laminate. yeah you gotta, yeah, yeah you gotta sign it and then laminate it and i didn't didn't have a laminator at home so i just put mine in a ziploc bag and then we uh zip tied them you know to the legs like you're supposed to put on the leg but that 
man, it was so hard to keep those tags from getting ripped to pieces. And so we had to be really careful about that. And I don't know, I kind of I wish that Nebraska would do like Iowa and Illinois does where they print out mm-hmm. you know, a nice, durable tag that sticks on and everything and isn't going to get easily ripped off or damaged. So, you know, we're like stressing over that the whole time. Yeah. Don't lose this tag because we had no way of printing off another one. Right. And you don't want to be in a situation where it's like, oh, I lost my tag. Um, <laughs> here, I have this yeah. dead deer here that yeah. I don't have a tag on. Can you get, you know, can you print me off one? You know, so we were stressed about that a little bit. Got the deer uh, reported in, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, we just decided, you know, because bringing these deer, we were hunting in a CWD zone. Yep. And Iowa law states that if you're going to bring a deer back into the state, it has to be deboned. Yeah. Well, in order to bone a deer, you got to have a place to dispose of the carcass. And the easiest thing, of course, we checked with the land manager that is okay if we could debone them out there in the field. He said, yep, no problem. So we just decided that night, you know, after we got everything uh, taken care of, let's just go ahead and butcher mine since Caleb's was back at camp. We we mm-hmm. had this one here and uh we just went ahead and bit the bullet yeah and uh got it butchered and packed up and skinned out so i can get the take the hide to old barn and get it uh tanned um just beautiful hides on those mule Very deer beautiful. so dark the tails are so cool on them um I'm so glad we did too. At that, that was that was a great yep. move doing that right away. And another big shout out to Weston. Weston uh, is an incredible fabricator. He's a welder for his job. And years ago, we went on a Missouri hunt, and we had to do the same thing down there. We had to debone the deer before we could bring him back into the state. So he made this hoist that plugs into the hitch receiver on your truck. Now a lot of people be like, "Oh yeah, I've seen those before." But Weston thought of every little handy detail. Yeah. He made the part that inserts into the receiver long enough so you could still fold the tailgate down for the the better your truck. So if you got to get stuff out of your truck while you're doing it, more, you know. Or use it as a meat shell for. yeah, Yeah, yeah. And he made it tall enough so you could hoist the deer up and you could work on the front quarters mm-hmm. you know at without squatting on the ground and then you know you could drop it down lower as you work your way up basically he thought of all these little details and he gave that thing to me because he wants to spice up his next one i guess he wants to make a few a few little tweaks but that thing was a total was amazing uh um just win to have that on our side and uh, that really helped get the the deer deboned as quickly as possible. Of course, we lost some meat to uh, the gut shot. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like totally obliterated and and filthy. And I didn't want to spoil the other meat. You know, by by packaging packaging with we just put all the meat into a game bag. Uh, got a lot of good meat off that deer though. Very and, much, yeah. And. Um, uh, got it all packed away, and we were in bed by 3 a.m. <laughs> and uh, then uh, today we uh, we woke up, kind of dragged our feet a little bit because we were tired. Yeah. Got camp broken down, resituated the truck. 
That yeah, it was it was a it was a yard sale. It was, it, it, was yeah. it was nice. We had that time to kind of talk it through before we went out. We actually yeah. had, and we had celebratory apple crisp. Yep. For breakfast. Mountain House apple crisp. Yeah. And uh, then we went back out and uh, met with the land manager. He was happy we recovered that that other doe, my doe, and and uh, we got permission to butcher. Yep. Caleb's out there, and we also got permission to do some shed hunting. Yeah, I think that it was it was great. You know the the experience we had too getting out there. We uh, saw got to see some more muley deer yep. and a and a, um, a buck along with them. And uh, while we were butchering this deer, you know the, the it started snowfall came yep. down. It was a beautiful, a little cold at times, but um, you made the mention too during that 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 it is a a tall ask, you know, to to go ahead and and yeah to do boneless meat but i think it's it's worthwhile i mean it's, yep. it's definitely to it's a it's a direct handshake saying like i'm with you yeah iowa department of natural resources yeah. and trying it's, to it's not a, bring cwd into the state any anymore yeah it's a you know when you when you're committed to really being a like like uh more than just a casual hunter like out, you're sign, you're signing up for a lot of work, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot of work, and that is a lot of work. Deboning yeah. two deer before we get ahead home. Yeah, you know, I think we probably spent eight hours ish, seven hours maybe. Yeah, uh, between skinning, you know, deboning, packaging away, all this meat. Um, but then we finished up. Yep, like you said, it's beautiful conditions. And uh, we were like, you know what? Let's go do a shed hunt. Caleb really I, – I honestly, if Caleb said, hey, we need to get home, you know, after this, I would have been like, yep, I agree, you know. But he's like, no, I want you to find a shed right. before we yeah. we leave. And I thought, you know, that is awesome. It's probably not super likely that's going to happen just because, you know, we shed hunt a lot. And we both know – you know, we talk about the ten mile rule, and that's in whitetail country where yeah, <laughs> right. way more deer. Right, right. You know, we talk about finding the five dead. You know, the five carcasses rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about you know all this stuff that goes into finding a, a shed, and so it just didn't feel like it was super likely, but right. I figured there were definitely sheds out there. Uh, well, but we just knew, to be in the right it. spot. We, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, so we look around for I don't know maybe forty five minutes. And there's some some of the most beautiful, oh, beautiful rock beautiful. ledges. Yeah, and that was the thing too. Just like when we were leaving our hotel, you know, Friday morning, and we started seeing this beautiful prairie landscape, and watched that type of landscape evolve as we moved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, further west. Yep. We saw that evolve even in the, you know, five or six square miles yeah. that we hunted all all week. Right. And it's, it was just so yeah. so diverse. And that was just so so beautiful to see and we really got to appreciate that when we were shed hunting. Which I think I was thinking about it. Shed hunting is like Caleb and I, we love picking up sheds. There's that aspect of, you know, that 
whatever people who like to collect things, that little dopamine hit they get when they get to add to their collection, we get that from picking up sheds. You know, it's probably some kind of weird hoarder mentality. <laughs> but uh, so that's definitely a huge part of it. But also, it's an excuse to explore the wild spaces around us. Yeah. And that's that's what I like. I just felt so like fulfilled seeing all this stuff well then you know we're in and out of service we're up at this high point we, we, so we could yeah. get service out where we were hunting and stuff on occasion if mm-hmm. we'd hike up to the tops of these these bluffs and stuff and we so were we, up on top of this well, plateau and we, and we had already covered like three coolies probably yeah really good looking yeah. coolies yep and um, we get up to the top of the plateau, which that was a good move too. Yep, it just was. to walk on top of the plateau. And here's a little tip for you that want to hunt mule deer. Something that I think we found or you know figured out at the end of our hunt was that in that kind of country, I think mule deer prefer areas that have big plateaus that spill down to a lot of different coolies. Because they have a lot of different options for seeking shelter from the wind and elements and predation even, or hunting pressure. But when they get up on top of those plateaus, they can get to any of those coolies in a matter of seconds, really, for them. It cuts their travel time so much. I mean, even for us walking, we had had to drive all the way around this plateau. We could drive there on this ranch land, but Yep, but you just get up on it. It's a highway. Yeah. And so we walked around on that, and we get up on top there. Caleb gets service for a second. He gets a text from his wife that's like, my car is dead. I had to get a ride home from work. And I'm like, oh, man, dude, we need to go now. We need to end this this shed hunt now and get home so you can help her. You know, it's 10 hours home. You need to be able to help her before work tomorrow. Right. And I nearly take another step, and boom, right there on the ground, this ancient old <laughs> muley shed is laying there. And we knew we were looking for old sheds. Yeah, you know, obviously, the, right. the bucks are still packing their sheds for another probably couple months yet, at mm-hmm. least. And uh, so we're up there looking for old sheds. And here's this crusty old chalk muley shed. And I just, like, lose it, man. I, I was we so both, happy. That was I so started, exciting. I started, like, celebrating. You know, I'm, like, grabbing. I'm laughing. And, and uh, you know, like you know shouting and everything else yeah and uh it was just like the perfect ending yep to a uh awesome awesome hunt yeah the hunt was complete at that point basically and so caleb what were some of the firsts that we talked about that that we achieved on this trip i'll just touch on a couple of mine um for me it was my first muzzleloader uh harvest ever yep um first mule deer mm-hmm. and my actual very first like I mean first western kind of hunt at all and and first real, true out of state um, like tag filled where we didn't you know I've, I live in Iowa I'll, I'll, I'll hunt in Illinois like in that but that and that's technically an out of state tag but it's I mean I go to it's where I grew up you know right? so yeah. it's like new area type of that so those were really my three for and first mule deer shed for me. Yeah. Um, so those were kind of my some of my first. I'm sure there's more in there. Yeah, um, but the, just the yeah the main ones. Yeah, and those are huge. You know, those are yeah, huge. Yeah. Huge first time. Yeah. How about and you had humans. some too. 
Yeah, so, let's see, I counted them up last night. I don't remember what the count is, but I've, I think I've hunted now. So I've hunted Illinois, Missouri, Montana, and now Nebraska. So this is my fourth out-of-state hunt. Mm-hmm. I never filled any of those other tags. Came really close in Montana on a bear. I just missed my shot. Um, Illinois, I never really, that was my first year of bow hunting, and I, you know, I didn't really have it figured out that well yet, and I kind of came close on one doe, but I missed. Um, Missouri, um, I had a layup shot on a crazy looking spike that had like seven inch spikes coming out of his head oh wow yeah. but uh it was an antler point restriction sure. i was gonna ask zone. that yeah and if you're gonna shoot a spike it had to be three inches or less and he walked in front of me um a couple minutes after first light at about 20 yards during Man. uh the rifle season and i just had to watch him walk by uh, i took a long shot at some does but totally missed they were way you know they were far out and and so didn't didn't get a film of my missouri tag but this one i finally got to fill an out-of-state yeah. tag which feels so good because at some point to your family back home it's like dude why do you keep doing this yeah. you know <laughs> going yeah. out of your way spending the money you know i i just really want to be able to bring something home and on top of that, with, like with Caleb, is my first mule deer kill. Yeah. Um, it was uh, my first mule deer shed as well. I mean, it was just it's just such a awesome, awesome. My first western tag filled too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a big deal too in the hunting world. Is when you decide to go out west to hunt. That's a, there's like historical significance there with. Mm-hmm what hunters have been doing here since you know european settlers start moving into this country there's just been this pull to go west and right. chase all these different crazy animals and these crazy landscapes and so to finally do that as well it just it felt so good so it uh you know another one that i think it was too caleb was i think it was my first recovery on a bad oh sure hit yeah. Um, I've never straight up gut hit a animal before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had marginal hits that didn't result in death. Yeah. That I followed those blood trails for a long time. Um, last year, we I shot that doe, and I yep. think I hit liver, and we just the blood trail just died on yeah. us. And it was in a in an, in an impossible circumstance to recover without a blood trail. Right. Two thirty in the morning and hundred acres of standing corn. Yeah, I mean it could have been anywhere. Yeah. Um. It was, you know, I've had that kind of stuff. So like, it just has always been a very depressing and gut wrenching thing whenever it's a long blood trail for me. Yeah. But this time it ended in a happy note. And uh, is this your first time? Uh, getting two shots off at a deer no with a muzzleloader no i've i've okay. done that before in because uh, i was impressed 2017 with i was impressed with that on top of that hill you know that like that 
definitely comes with experience of messing with muzzleloaders a lot. Like, I've killed most of my deer with a muzzleloader. And I think most people just write off muzzleloaders as easy as shotgun hunting or as easy as rifle hunting. But I'm here to tell you, folks, in a lot of ways, it is more similar to archery hunting than it is to rifle hunting. Um, just with how deliberate you have to be with everything, how perfect you got to be on that first shot, your range that you're limited to. Yeah. You know, it's... The effective wind. I mean, there, there's yeah. a lot of things there. Yeah, and, I think I think you kind of got to see that. Would you agree, Caleb, that, that muzzleloader... I mean, definitely archery is way more challenging still than muzzleloader hunting, but... but uh, I don't think muzzleloader hunting is near as simple as rifle hunting or, or uh, you know, some other thing like that. And I, well, I think to to give perspective on this, if you live in a midwestern or a, a state where you there, you know, there's a lot of you know denser forest or yeah. whatever it might be, agriculture land. How, what I would compare this to, I was actually told this to my dad the other day. This hunt, this area, because of the vastness that you're dealing with uh, between the, the you know the between the plateaus and in these coolies and valleys and all these things, I would compare it to this. Like the, the a muzzleloader hunt in this area is pretty much equal to a bow hunt in like a midwestern state when you compare it to like a gun hunt, and like that'd be like so in Midwest like archery is to shotgun. Or maybe muzzleloader, as yeah. muzzleloader out here is to rifle, um, just because of the range you can carry. You know, for instance, when we took those shots on the first stock, we actually got within shooting position on those deer, and we missed. We had no chance to take a second shot. No. You know, it's it's it's. Uh, yeah, if we could have racked another round real quick, we could have yep. killed deer right then and yep. there. So it, it's that to me that was the thing that kind of in my brain though it, it was it was kind of cool to experience and think about that of like okay this is uh in, in incredibly difficult um and and two i think there's just factors with the muzzleloader you know if you think about a, a rifle hunt if that's what you compare it to whatever you're comparing it to it's an enclosed casing right yep. and, and for for this i remember on that first stock even you had opened up your breech and you were like oh no I think we might have had some moisture get in here. Yeah, it was uh, starting to grow some funk, and I've had enough experience with muzzleloaders that when when those chemical reactions are starting to take place with the the powder and the moisture in the air, the you know the water vapor, then you know you're you're kind of riding that line. Is this powder going to be damp? Right. Because we'd had the you know you know we had had the charge sitting there for a while Mm -hmm. and and uh so when we went to squeeze off those shots i was just crossing my fingers that both of our muzzleloaders were going to go off and not hang fire right thankfully they went off yeah that's a real testament you know cva is not a sponsor of this podcast but i am a huge believer in cva products um i fired my muzzleloader on this trip four times Mm mm-hmm Three times while hunting. Yep. No cleaning in between shots. And then I fired, so I had loaded another shot in before legal light ended. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know when I was trying to pursue that doe, and I just didn't get a get another shot off. Um, 
so I wanted to discharge the weapon before we left um, on the road and uh, fired just fine you know and I think like I said I think my scope needs a tiny little tweak um, but still was you know accurate enough to kill a deer when I fired today so that's four shots you know without cleaning and that thing performed that well yeah and all that hiking around getting beat around getting you know i i just can't say enough about cva muzzleloaders um uh so if you're looking for one strongly recommend that but but yeah just a overall great trip glad to get it done with the muzzleloader we use spartan forge so much yeah. on this trip so much it was such a huge tool to have and we used so many different facets of it we used the the you know the the contour lines slope um, angle the slope angle pins. the blue force tracker yeah the um yep yeah, the the map my track feature we used that a couple times the land the land we, property boundaries yeah the landowner information and boundaries the you know you go on and on down the down the list spartan forge was constantly running for us and it made our hunt successful you know Absolutely. i wouldn't have, i probably would not have found that deer without spartan forge um we um i probably would have found that shed without spartan forge right and um you know it was just just really made possible by that so uh we're we're um you know really thankful and proud that this podcast is presented by spartan forge strongly suggest that if you uh are not yet using spartan forge you give it a try you can download it for free and then uh i'm confident you'll want all the extra features that come with the mapping and the deer behavior prediction by getting a uh subscription i recommend the yearly subscription and um <clears throat> Uh, I think you'll just be so happy with that. Another thing we used was our buddy Alex uh, Alex Gruen from East West Hunts uh, to help us plan this hunt. We rented a bunch of gear from Alex at a great price. We um, uh, we used him to help plan the hunt. Now Alex helped us with the public land side of yes. that, and it was yep. really good to have those those uh, areas in our back pocket. Um, but he agreed with us, hey, if you guys can find some private land permission, that's probably your best shake here. And so that, and Caleb took that to heart. And so thankfully we didn't have to veer from that. We had enough opportunities, obviously, on the, the private land permission that we gained. And so we used that. But, but we just felt so, like we were talking when things were getting really bleak. We're like, mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to head back east and go to get, get on our hunt plan. Um, and, and check those areas but but just you know and some general advice from alex too through the hunt planning process you can get all of that for yourself though go to east west hunts i'm sure you have hunts you want to do maybe you're going to want to try this nebraska mule deer hunt um alex will help you navigate the whole process plan it out get the gear you need to do it um, just go to eastwesthunts.com request a free consultation with alex and uh if you guys agree that it's something that he can help you with and you need the help with um you can get rolling on it and get going on your own hunt hunt plan and your own dream hunt 
and you can actually like turn that thing into a reality which is awesome so uh, check out East West Hunts go to eastwesthunts.com tell Alex during the free consultation that you heard about him on this podcast and you will save 10% Caleb and I cannot wait to go visit our friends uh, Colton and Sam down at Old Barn Taxidermy I think we're going to try and go together so Colton and Sam if you guys are listening into this uh, be expecting us soon I'm going to have a little uh, <laughs> mule deer hide to get tanned. And uh, uh, my son Jonas really wants a deer hide. And I was going to give him my give him the one off my doe, archery doe this year. But um, unfortunately, when I was hanging the deer up in the shop, uh, the foot, the hoof of the deer hit a... Uh, fluorescent tube light oh man and shattered that sucker Mm. and got glass all over the floor and uh when i i wasn't thinking and when i skinned out the hide i laid it out on the floor on top of all that glass it got glass shards stuck all over and i just didn't feel right about having somebody working with that thing cutting themselves the ribbon so he's got he he his patience is going to pay off because i'm going to get him a um mule deer hide tanned by old barn taxidermy and uh, caleb's gonna go there too and get his tanned and um hopefully we record a podcast with those guys uh when we head down that way but uh you are filling tags hopefully as as a listener and hopefully you got your own taxidermy work you need to get, get done do it right don't go with bad taxidermy on this hunting trip um, we stopped at uh, Bass Pro yep. to pick up some gear that we needed. And there was a lot of good taxidermy there, <laughs> but there was also some bad taxidermy there. And uh, you do not want that. You want quality work done. And uh, one of the best ways to guarantee that is to go with Old Barn Taxidermy. You can find a link for them in these show notes. Um, please tell them that I sent you there. That's helpful to me and helpful to them, though, that our partnership is working. Um, and I go there all the time. I go there every year. Uh, thankfully, I've been blessed and had the opportunity to do that. Uh, and I wouldn't be sending you somewhere that I didn't believe in. I hope you I hope you can uh, understand that through, through all this. But uh, just so thankful to Caleb for being crazy enough to – crazy enough about hunting – to join me on this he was a good hunt buddy he didn't such a fun hunt he didn't want to you know sit back after he filled his tag and you know say well we'll see you when you fill yours he <laughs> stayed with me the whole time it was truly a partnership Absolutely. um that uh you know iron sharpening iron thing we we're there to pick up the slack for each other when one of us was getting kind of down on the hunt the other one was up and uh just that positive energy kept us going and and really uh oh it was another first we it was my first doubling up with somebody oh yeah on a hunt yeah we doubled up and uh and then even the sheds to just put the icing on the cake was really really an awesome trip so thanks buddy for coming along with me and oh absolutely and a big thank you uh to the landowners for letting us come and, and hunt on their properties just forever grateful for that Mm -hmm. and um thank you to you listeners for tuning in and uh it's late it's really late 
Uh, we've had to record this a few times because, you know, I had to take naps in between. I was getting sleepy, <laughs> getting groggy. Yeah. So I'm going to edit this thing. I'm going to get it launched. It's going to be going for Pick and Bones. I know it's a really long Pick and Bones episode, but who cares? It's a great hunting story and uh, one that we've been talking about for quite a while. Get out there, people. Chase your own hunting dreams. Make them happen. And uh, hopefully you can say this podcast helped you get there. And uh, please let me know if you do have some success. I love seeing that. And um, love hearing from you. It's the best part of the podcast. Also, if you have not yet left a uh, five-star review of the show and you feel it's worth that, please do so. Uh, It's a big help to us as well. And uh, until next time, take care and take someone hunting.